You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. This episode of The Ensemblist is brought to you in part by our Patreon members, including Colin Elijah, Joanne T. Garvin, Christopher Gurr, Linda Lee, and Joey Shoji. You can support the work we do here at The Ensemblist for as little as $5 a month. Check us out at patreon.com slash theensemblist. You're listening to The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. Welcome, I'm Mo Brady. If I hear your cell phone ringing, I'll kill you myself. The whole being dead thing, death can get... Last season, 288 actors worked as swings on Broadway. That's literally a third of the performers working under Actors' Equity Chorus contracts. And yet, the job of a swing is still one of the most esoteric jobs in the theater. In general, swings are hired to understudy multiple ensemble tracks in a production. They're asked to remember all of the lines, blocking, choreography, vocal harmonies, and backstage traffic for multiple roles. But no swing's job is exactly the same as another. And often, one swing doesn't know how another swing memorizes all the information they need to know. That being said, today's guest knows a thing or three about covering roles on Broadway. Those three specific things are Otho, Adam, and Beetlejuice, all roles he covers in his duties as a swing at the Winter Garden Theater. Beetlejuice isn't our guest Will Blum's first foray into covering leading roles either. He's been a standby on the Book of Mormon, an alternate at School of Rock, and understudied Michael Urie in last season's Torch Song. I wanted to know how he manages to stand by for such grueling characters, both living and undead. Here's our conversation. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Can you introduce yourself and tell us what neighborhood of New York City you live in? I'm Will Blum, and I live in Harlem. And uh, what's your job? Right now, I am a, I think I'm an official swing in Beetlejuice. 
the musical on Broadway, and I cover Beetlejuice and Adam and Otho. It's a little confusing, though, because typically we think about a swing as covering ensemble tracks right. and a standby covering principal tracks, and yet you are a swing. Only because Otho is technically an ensemble track. Got it. That's the only reason. So do you cover any of the other guys in the ensemble? No, specifically, even so much. Connor Gallagher, the, the choreographer, and I have worked together before, and he knows my dance skills very well. And so even when I go on for Otho, I only do the character of Otho. I do not do the rest of Kelvin's track because it involves tap dancing and these other things. And so Connor specifically was like, don't let him dance, <laughs> which I am fine with. What do you think makes a good swing? A cool head more than anything. Like I immediately think of Eric in our show because he's probably gone on for the most. I think he's gone on for like 11 different tracks in the show, maybe 12 now with Otho. I think there there's a certain trait that all good swings have where they can really compartmentalize these different... I remember even... um when I was little reading the Rent book and mm -hmm. the a swing and there was talking about how they went on for Angel at the matinee and Collins at the evening and had to do both parts of that harmony and all that. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, that would be so cool to be able to be everybody in the show. And I'm a director as well. And that's that's what I think about more than anything. As a director, you get to be everybody. And that's always what I've sort of wanted to do is just get a hint. Like, if I could be Delia, I would love to be Delia in a second. <laughs> you know, it's just so much fun to just step into all of these different masks and, and get to play around. You would never get bored, I think, you know, absolutely. But the other side of that, which, which I very much am trying to get a, a hold of now is is adrenaline is just trying to understand that everything's going to be okay. I'm I'm very easy to sort of stress out. I think the best swings don't have that. And You're so, a real swing, Will. Well, <laughs> it, it was sort of a confusing. I was only offered Adam and Otho covers when they thought they were only going to have one principal male swing. And so once they hired Sean Montgomery, it became everybody in the building knew that I was a superfluous third cover for both Adam and Otho. So I focused solely as a Beetlejuice standby. Okay, you said you are not a real swing, and yet if I went on Playbill Vault, I would see you are, you've made a career of being a Broadway standby, understudy. Yeah, yeah. So there's obviously something about this that you are good at. I don't know if it's so much good at being good at, at the job or if it's just being good at doing homework and doing it. Like, I am really good at exceeding expectations or I'm oftentimes the person when they're like, who the fuck can do this? They're like, <laughs> oh, well, try Will out and see, you know. And so I know that producers love me for that because they know that if Alex is out, the audience gets to feel like they're watching a star being born because it's a completely polished and fully realized and frankly, like very different simply because I can't do the Beetlejuice voice that Alex does. And so I think there's a feel the show is so well crafted and so funny that as long as I get out of the way, the audience just goes nuts because there's so much of it that seems improvised already. And they just think that this is the understudy improvising and feeling comfortable enough to do this. And so more and more and more, I just get them over on my side. And like, that's the fun game of it for me. I don't know if it makes me good at it, but that's what I like about it is, you know, seeing disappointed faces when I start. <laughs> and then at the end, people are up on their feet cheering and screaming. Like, it's so much more gratifying to know that they didn't know who I was. They didn't expect me to be good or and or equal to and i won uh you know written into the script he's he's very pansexual and so there's often aspects of my sexuality that i will always try to hide frankly uh because i'm always cast as very heterosexual bro types even 
So being able to sort of expose myself under this Beetlejuice mask is like rewarding to and I started noticing the more that I would go on that the more that I revealed myself, the more the audience loved me. And that's like a crazy, beautiful feeling to have of just like, oh, <laughs> it's me. It's not even it's not all this that's doing it. It's it's what I'm giving. And that's like a beautiful feeling to go home with. When did your journey with Beetlejuice start? I first auditioned, it was actually, I had just come back from directing in London. It was the first audition that I went to in like May of 2018 for the DC run. I did not get it. I was very sad that I didn't get it. <laughs> this would have been for an ensemble track that covered Beetlejuice. Like now it, it, it Abe Goldfarb got it. Got it. Um, and Good for him. He's br- I mean, he's <laughs> brilliant, you know, like, but we're very different people. So it was obviously to be easier to be like, okay, that wasn't what you're looking for. I'm very thankful that I didn't get it because I ended up getting Torch Song in perfect, incredible form. I got the call that I would be in the Broadway company the day after Torch Song closed. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so you auditioned for it in 2018. You didn't get it. Didn't get it. You didn't hear a thing until someone called and offered you a job? No, no. I went back and auditioned again. What I guess it would have been December. Yes, December of 2018 when they came back from from DC and they were looking for specifically offstage covers. And I think a good reason of why I didn't get it as well in the beginning was I'm not a dancer. You know, I'm, I I love dance. I took eight years of ballet when I was younger, but I'm just no good at it. I tried. <laughs> I tried. Okay, so you booked the job. Right. What are you doing in rehearsals when other people are up on their feet? At that point, I was actually the first offstage cover to join because they realized how intense the character of Beetlejuice was. And it, to be honest, for the first two weeks, and if you've seen the show, you can probably understand, it's just insanely overwhelming. You know what I mean? It, there's no point in even looking down to write down something because he'll be across the room <laughs> by the time I look back up. I'm a very visual learner, very uh, very good at learning music by ear, these things. So, so for me, watching, and Alex Brightman, uh, both Alex's are brilliant, but both Alex Bremen is brilliant in that he, um, he, it's like he just has a grab bag of choices all the time and he'll just throw things out and just see what sticks, but it all sticks. It's like, um, it's incredible to watch. And so the, the fun thing for me is I am not that kind of person. I am not an improviser. I, the, my idea of hell is a, is an improv class. Like I just, I, it scares me. It's very intimidating. Innately, I don't feel very funny. So when I was watching Alex, I could look at every choice that he threw out and say, oh, I like that, I'm going to take that, and this, and this, and this from column A, and this from column B. And there were sometimes choices that he just did once, and I was like, I love that, I'm keeping that forever. And so I've tried to craft a show that uh, that is pretty much the same. I always try to um, do things that work. If I make a new choice, it's done over three shows. And it's like <laughs> a little, and, you know, I inch here and I inch there, but um, my nightmare is like technical difficulties and having to come up with something hilarious to say, like, I'm not that kind of guy, you know. So you were doing your homework. Yeah, always homework. Were you doing your homework on your own? Were you like working with a stage manager or an associate director? Um, For the longest time, it really was on my own, only because they were really, you know, they were putting the show up. I don't actually, I can't remember when we started. You know, there were certain things I would make sure to learn I would pull Nancy, our associate choreographer, aside, you know, and say, oh, can you teach me this real fast? I need to work on this, you know, upstairs while y'all are doing this or... There were plenty of things that I sort of grabbed people and said, hey, what's going on here? What's, you know, what is this prop or blah, blah, blah. And Alex and I have a 
great relationship because we did School of Rock. I was his alternate for School of Rock. And so he he knows the kind of performer I am. I know what kind of performer he is. And he's just so giving. You know, and there were things sometimes, you know, he'd ask me about certain moments or certain things. And I'd be like, well, I love this and this and this. And, you know, and even there's things that he would do that he didn't even realize why it was funny. You know what I mean? And I'd say, well, it's because this, it seems that, and he was like, oh, that's great. That's great. And I'm like, you did it. You know, it's <laughs> like, I'm just explaining your joke. But that's, it's really wonderful to feel that kind of respect from the person that you're, that you're covering. And our stage manager at the time, Matt DiCarlo, who's an incredible, he's an amazing director. Um, and so I was really glad to have the show set from the stage manager you know what I mean I was like um because that's a normal thing but normally they don't speak to actors the way that Matt DiCarlo does and um it was a really lovely giving experience Alex Timbers came all the time like he shows up he would show up to understudy rehearsal the when he did he then send flowers to us the next day telling us how great we are he's seen at least half the times I've been on, like he does not let it. I, you know, I most of the time directors after opening, I'll just let it go and and leave it in charge with the either the uh, resident director or the stage manager, etc. Um, but he's so so hands on while still letting everybody just fly. I think he knows very well that comedy doesn't live under a bullseye. And I've done shows in the past where they want this and this and X plus Y equals this, and it just dies. And so he knows very well that you have to let it live and what he does is like he'll see what you do he'll just give you a little hat to put on it and just say it just needs this and it's perfect and it and it you literally feel like a jigsaw puzzle piece that just like is the final piece like fitting into something he's like maybe my favorite director i've worked with as an actor so when was the first time that you went on i didn't go on for eight months that is the the longest i have ever sat backstage in my life okay um so you felt prepared i would assume oh yeah well that's the it's same thing happened at at book of mormon i didn't go on for six months and then finally when i won everybody was like oh my god you're amazing i'm like well i've had six months to to learn it you know i better be good at this point and and the same thing with this there was just he didn't call out for two hundred shows and then the first one wasn't even for sick it was for personal days you know and so but 200 shows and i i really was just like even when i did get dates i was like come now i don't know if i'm ever gonna be on again because <laughs> he really crafted um a show that he could do eight times a week this is something that you know compared to dewey this is cake you know what i mean which is is why he's been able to do it but it was a long time like what are you doing backstage for eight months are you watching are you for trailing are time, you yeah for the longest time i would watch i i really um because the anxiety that i that i do not like is what exists from the point when you're ready to go on to when you actually do go on because there's nothing in you that is able to say i got this until you or for me anyway, I, I, I do not have the confidence to say, oh, I'm fine, until I go on for the first time. And so anytime I wouldn't watch, that felt like a gamble. You know what I mean? It's just like of like, okay, well, do you have this? Are you good? You know what I mean? Do you really think you can do it? You know, I'm, I'm very mean to myself. Not mean. I'm just, I'm very stern. And so for the longest time, I really did watch. And then finally, after, you know, my put in, after all these rehearsals, I was like, okay. All right, I can I can relax for a bit, especially now that I've gone on twice mid-show um, now, and so my 
habits have turned really towards just making sure that I'm actually ready to go on at any moment. And, um, which is very different from 200 shows not going on, you know, right. just like it's different every night It's absolutely different every night. So I try and understand even from the beginning, what the audience is like, what's going on with everybody, what, what's really happening. And, and so that if I had to jump in, I wouldn't be like, okay, where are we? You know, let's, yeah. let's see. You'd mentioned this before that you don't do Alex's voice. So you're not feeling like you have to do a carbon copy of somebody no. else's performance. Will you, will you describe how the conversation happened where sure. you were allowed, figured out that you could go your own way? Well, it was even, it was from callbacks when I was, you know, still getting cast was the whole idea in, I guess, in Timber's mind was, does this work without the voice? And I proved, yes, it does. If there was a conversation about what was possible, I wasn't a part of it. You know, it was just a, we like what you're doing with this character. Go ahead, go ahead, you know, which is great. Another reason I love Alex Timber. Mm -hmm. I've, um, in Book of Mormon, I, I was the first person to see, they, they sort of were trying to figure out how it would work without Josh Gad. And they had a really hard time understanding that people are different especially something like that you can't replicate gold you know what i mean you can't find another josh gad and throw him in and expect that that's going to be the same thing for me i just go back always to my my training from school and just find out what the story that's being told what you know uh, and i think specifically in something like book of mormon they they thought the character was funny because he's a nerd and he has like star wars action figures but what made him funny was that he was way too excited to be in Africa. I was the one who had to sort of show them that. And in the, in the same sense with Beetlejuice, I sort of proved to them that the material is great on its own. It doesn't need that, you know. And so more often than not, I end up showing the writers, you did a good job. You mm. know what I mean? Because I'm just, all I'm doing is going into the text because that's all I, I will ever give myself license to do. I'll never throw in something into the show that doesn't belong there. That's something that the writers didn't intentionally put there. You mentioned these two mid-show swing-ons. Can you take us through one of them? Like, what was <laughs> happening? How long? I'll, t- I'll tell you the fun one. Okay. Yeah, the, the second one wasn't as fun. The The first one, uh, I show up to the theater. It's like 6.30. Um, I've got my turkey chili from Pratt. Eat my turkey chili. Right before the show, Alex comes up and he's like, my stomach just got really weird. And I was like, okay. Should I paint my nails? And he's like, no, 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 no. It's okay. I just wanted to let you know. And I was like, okay. I went down to his dressing room and got the nail polish and painted my nails. Because I was like, he never says any. Like, if he normally warns me, it's good warning. It's He never cries wolf. Um, so I was like, this is happening. Something's going to happen. Sure enough, he started vomiting into a trash can after the opening number. I immediately got into the makeup chair. And luckily, there's about maybe 10 minutes scene in between when he exited and before I would have had to come on. It's a 30-minute makeup session that they crammed into what ended up being, I think, like 11 minutes. The show stopped for a couple minutes because okay. they did have to get me finished. Okay. Get me uh, fully up. Which also was, in a way, good because they said, we're holding for technical difficulties from now on. The role will be played. The role of Beetlejuice will be played, blah, blah, blah. It gives people a minute to acclimate. And to look me up in the playbill if they want, <laughs> um, look me up on Instagram if they want. And and I came on and did Friday Their Lives and it was great. Like it was, they were automatically, it happened early enough in the show. It felt like, oh, Broadway's crazy. What's that? You know, it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there was something fun to do. So starting in that scene, 
that's my ideal Beetlejuice track is to not do the first 20 minutes. <laughs> Literally, it's, the first 20 minutes are hell. So starting at the, you know, the piece of cake moment, great. Anytime. All right. We'll let, we'll let them know at the Winter Garden. Exactly. One last question for yeah. you. A piece of advice, either something you've learned over the years or something maybe that was told to you that you think would be helpful for someone swinging for the first time. One's kind of a joke and then the the other's real. But like um, when I, I automatically actually think of, of Josh Gad, actually, because he was so kind to me. He was just so kind and wanted to make sure even, you know, in Spooky Mormon Helldream, he was like, eat a Clementine here. Eat a, you need to get, keep your blood sugar up. It's stuff like that. So the real thing is, is keep your blood sugar up, actually. You know, and make sure that you've eaten something. Make sure that you can. Even last night, I normally have like a, a bar at intermission and I didn't. And after the next big dance number, I was brain dead. I was just absolutely brain dead. So I always think about that. I was like, oh, he was right. I should have eaten the Clementine. I should have had that Clementine. <laughs> but the other aspect of that is just to be kind. You have no idea. In the world of the audience, there seems to be a sort of hierarchy because you you are obviously paying attention to the leads, the stars, the principals. And backstage, everyone is equal in my mind. And and in some ways, like I look at Eric, who has covered 11 tracks as the most valuable person in the building. And so the main thing is, is just to be kind to everyone. There, there are people, um, no matter what, even no matter what position you're in, whether you're, you have a swing who's covering you, or you are the swing that's covering that person. I mean, it's so stupid, but kindness goes everywhere in my book. Special thanks to Will Blum for sharing his stories with us this week. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Mo Brady. The Ensemblist is proud to be a part of Broadway Podcast Network. If you can't get enough of theater conversations directed into your earbuds from us, there are more than 40 other great theater podcasts to listen to. Check us out at bpn.fm. Also, we've joined the world of Patreon, where you can support the work we do here at The Ensemblist for as little as $5 a month. Check us out at patreon.com slash theensemblist. If you don't have the cash to donate $5 a month, you can help us by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And follow us on Instagram, where we share the stories of talented artists working in theater ensembles. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.